Hello, everyone. Uh, it's evening here, but uh, wherever you are listening, whenever you are listening, morning, midday, afternoon, I hope it's a good one. This is your weekly Rugby World Cup Elite Rugby Banter podcast with Andrew, Phil and Ant, the podcast that is like my whiskey, complex yet enjoyable. There's your food metaphor, Ant. <laughs> um, let's, I'm glad uh, that we're including alcohol as a food group. Yeah, of course, it's a major food group. Um, that's where I get most of my carbohydrates. So, uh, Ant, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Nervous. Um, I think this is going to be a very, very stressful week. Um, but, but yeah, excited. Excited for finally getting to the, you know, the sharp end of the field. That's it. And Phil, you've come down from your high and come down from the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, I've been enjoying, you know, the slight change of pace, watching rugby from the comfort of my own couch, um, cheaper beers at home. And yeah, just really, really enjoying this. Even though the Springboks didn't play this weekend, I, I, especially the Sunday games, I really enjoyed the games. So looking forward to getting into it with you guys. Awesome. So uh, to extend extend the food metaphor on the menu for tonight is a rundown of the various courses that were dished up in the last round of pool stage games. And then we'll top it off with some dessert afterwards with a bit of a look forward to the quarterfinals. So with no further ado, I think let's get into the games and we'll just go for them chronologically. We usually keep the Springbok one for the end, but obviously we didn't have a Springbok game this week. So on Thursday night, uh, we had the one game, and that was New Zealand versus Uruguay, or Uruguay, depending who you ask, I guess. Um, this was a very one-sided game. I think we all expected that. Maybe not, you know, maybe a bit more one-sided than most people expected, but 73 to nil. I think the nil more, more surprising than the 73. What did uh, you think, Phil? Yeah, I think uh, Uruguay would have been disappointed not to get on the ball at all. But all in all, New Zealand are just sort of building quite nicely up towards the quarterfinal clash with Ireland, as we'll discuss later. But um, yeah, I think at halftime, the score was looking relatively moderate. You know, it was a 26-0 at halftime. Uruguay yeah. would have been happy with that. But then as of, quite often happens in these games with a big team against a minnow, in the second half, they sort of ran away with it. And we saw the the likes of, you know, usual suspects, Fanganuku, Will Jordan, DMAC, all the fantasy heroes doing everyone proud. I think everyone had uh, three New Zealand players in their team who all scored pretty decently. So, yeah. Uh, New Zealand just too strong and like I said I think they, they'll be happy with it not conceding any points and looking ahead they uh, probably the biggest disappointment for them I guess Tyrell Lomax going up very early with an injury so mm. if he misses the Ireland game that's quite a big blow for them it's Interesting I thought it was quite a good game for the first 20 minutes or so I mean, Uruguay were you know, held them scoreless for quite a long time and they actually almost scored first I think yeah. be misremembering that but yeah, you know I mean, allowed, it, you know, yeah. so yes yeah, so it blew out in the second half but I thought you know Uruguay really gave a good show of themselves for a while um, but I think the more interesting thing is you know you're saying they're building well towards the playoffs and sure on the scoreboard they're you know they're putting teams away and obviously they're beating Italy but you know, Phil we spoke about this in that Irish bar in France yes Andrew I'm just dropping that in there casually <laughs> um, the All Blacks haven't played properly you know they yeah they're running everything from the front. They're playing very arrogantly. They're playing as if they know they should be winning by 100 points. 
And there's, so there's no respect for the game. There's no respect to find bull, earn the right to go anywhere. They're just, you know, from pretty much anywhere on the field, they are straight up just like um, running it from wherever and just expecting to kind of score, which is, you know, that's all very well because against Uruguay and Italy and stuff, you can do that. But it's hardly good preparation for Ireland, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's actually, I think it's going to be very interesting considering they haven't played a, a tough game, let alone played tactically for, you know, over a month now. And both of the last two games where they did do that, you know, they got beaten pretty, pretty soundly. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of, um, I think, relearn that tactical aspect to matches that they, they maybe haven't been practicing too well. Yeah, that's very fair, I think. And that Italy game did them no favors in that regard, just because it was such a, I mean, they beat, they beat, they scored more points against Italy than Uruguay and Namibia. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Uruguay, that's the last we'll see of them in this World Cup. They gave us uh, some entertaining moments, some outstanding performances, I think, from the likes of Arata, Ardal, uh, the Jackler, uh, who was rated, was it Ian Foster that said he's the top Jackler in the competition or something like that? So that's pretty pretty high praise for a Minnow team. But And, and they had a pretty good game against uh, France B. So a bit of a dull note or a sour note to exit the World Cup. But uh, overall, what do you guys think about a pretty pretty standard performance from them? They got the win over Namibia at least. Is it high praise to receive, you know, say you're the best Jackler from someone that doesn't select Jackler? <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah. If it was any, if it was one of the few coaches who we said were good coaches in the last episode, then you know, it <laughs> yeah, would mean I might have a little bit more water. Um, <laughs> No, I think I think Uruguay can be fairly happy. Um, no, they did get their their win over Fiji and they, I mean over Namibia. Not let's not throw spoilers out yet. The T two victory <laughs> over Fiji, um, but you know they they were competitive against and leading against Italy. They were competitive against France for fair chunks, and um, so I think they can be fairly happy. If maybe a little bit disappointed they didn't get the win against Italy, I think that was their goal and they were they were targeting, but. You know, they're certainly in a, a much more competitive overall showing than 2019, I think. So, you know, they probably are a little bit disappointed, but I think they can they can still hold their head high. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think from a neutral perspective, they definitely won people over as well, just in terms of the way they played, but also the fans in the stadium. So in, in terms of a team really adding to the overall atmosphere and feel of the tournament, they definitely took the right box. Yeah, good addition. You could to the probably World copy Cup. paste that comment and, and apply it to a fair chunk of the, <laughs> the two teams, to be honest. Yeah, uh, that's also. But, but, but the point is very valid. Yeah. Uh, then we had the slightly nervous game for France against Italy, at least in the before the game started. There was a lot of talk of, well, is Italy going to put in their performance of the World Cup because they haven't really pitched up at all? But uh, France played a full-strength side and things went pretty much as expected. Italy underperformed. They did score seven points, but France put 60 on them. So we had some some strong performances from the usual suspects, the two French wings, Ramos, uh, playing very well. What were your guys' thoughts on that game? Maybe we'll start with that this time. And? It's Ant. Ant, hello. Let I me think, go, for, uh, go for it. I think I was, my, my speed was about 20 seconds behind you there. Um, yeah, there's not too much to make of it. I mean, I think 
France definitely approached the game better than New Zealand did, and that they, you know, they still played proper rugby. Um, but you know, it's just, it's been a very disappointing for, campaign for Italy. I think you know, both against New Zealand and against um, France, there was some optimism or hope that they could, you know, bring some of the good form they've had over the last couple of years um, to the party. But yeah, it just didn't didn't show it. You know, and two two massive scores, unfortunately, against both of the the big boys in their pool. And it's kind of this is now Italy's loss. It seems they. Rock up, they comfortably beat the two minnows, but comfortably get annihilated by by the two good teams in their pool. So, yeah, there's not, not too much more to say about it from my side. I think the... Yeah, I think... Sorry, go ahead, Phil. Um, I'm just so disappointed in Italy, I think. For me, like, they, mm. they just played with, like, a sort of naivety, I think, Um not really playing like proper test match rugby in the way that uh, Ant mentioned about New Zealand even. They sort of almost just tried to run everything, you know, passing side to side, which we know they're pretty good at when it's working on their day. And I think that's partly why they can beat the Minnows too, because they are superior in that aspect to them. But like against France, against even New Zealand and, and against any top team, like you can't just pass your way out. You have to kick well, you have to play tactically you have to you know play a smart game and they they just seemed like they were you know just trying to play in a way which didn't really make sense you know in a sort of smarter way and that was really disappointing yeah absolutely i think the the results pretty much went in terms of who won uh the way we expected for this pool there was a bit of a split on the panel about france new zealand but um otherwise you know italy Coming third with you know a bit of a bridge between the two minnows and the two giants in the group was expected, but I think as Phil said, the manner in which Italy played, especially against the the better teams, was disappointing. We expected them to put more of a challenge, play better rugby. So I think a bit of a disappointing tournament uh, for them. But uh, yeah, New Zealand and France march through, and we'll talk about the quarterfinals in a bit. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. The next game, the first one on Saturday, the early game, was Wales versus Georgia. So this was potentially a banana peel for Wales. Um, Georgia have uh, had a few upsets in the recent past of of tier one point five nations. Because I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I quite buy <laughs> that Wales are either tier one or tier two. Um, yeah. And but Wales going through with the score 43 to 19 so a fairly convincing score um a bit of a disappointing game for georgia i think careful yeah in the end it definitely was i mean after about 60 minutes after nini ashville scored a really really nice try where he handed off the welsh scrum off i think it was davies um it was yeah 24 19 and at that stage anything could have happened they were one try off but then Again, like in the last 20 minutes, Wales just scored a couple of tries to really pull away. And um, and ultimately, looking at the tournament as a whole, Georgia would be really disappointed. Uh, no win and drawing with Portugal. So they, they this was their best chance of even making, making it out of the group. You know, I don't think any of us thought that they were going to make it out of the group. But on paper, just given how group how close the group was, they had an opportunity and they they blew it. They didn't perform well. Or they probably played played Australia when in Australia's best performance of the tournament, and then mm. didn't play 
particularly well in this match for the whole 80 minutes. And and yeah, I couldn't beat Portugal. So very disappointing for Georgia. Yeah, I mean, they ended up coming last in their pool, uh, which mm. is definitely not where they would want to rank themselves. Um, you know, after some, some taking some tier one scalps last year. So no, it's very, very, very disappointing campaign from, from Georgia for sure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, at least there was a, a bit of entertainment in terms of the 90s-style brawl that broke out, which resulted in a double yellow for Tate Basham and uh, Nene Ashvili, who Phil mentioned. And that was like reminiscent of South Africa, Canada back in 1995. It was <laughs> a little bit ridiculous. You don't see that often on a rugby field these days. Yeah. Well, you did, did see a little bit of it in the um, Scotland game. Yeah. Yeah. Highland Scotland one, it, it almost blew up by more, I thought, but uh, I think the refs <laughs> decided to keep it a bit more, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, a bit more calm after a couple of the guys. I think Pierre Schumann <laughs> threw someone over the barrier. Uh, I can't remember who Dan was on Sheehan. receiving it. Dan Sheehan, yeah. So that could have got even more out of control. But um, yeah, this was, <laughs> it was a good brawl, but ultimately, uh, it was all too little, too late for Georgia at that point. I think the game had gotten away. But uh, I mean, for for Wales aside, I think they've had a given how much we included wrote them off before the tournament. They've performed about as well as they could. You know, obviously top of the group, winning all their games. But even in this one, quite comfortable in seeing the likes of George North and uh, Reece Zanet running tries is always is always good for them to see. Yeah, they've. Yeah, I mean, I think that that summarizes really well. Wales have certainly punched far higher than their expectations. Um, you know, Gatlin has obviously taken taken them back under control and stamped his Gatlinness on back on them, which I think Wales just respond to well. They like being that kind of drag you down, players boring kind of style. You know, don't make too many mistakes type rugby. And I think you know they, they, they just never under Pivac, they just never seem comfortable. So. Um, you know, with trying to play a bit more rugby. So, you know, I think they're in a really strong position. Um, again, we won't get into previews just yet, but I think, you know, it's kind of gone, as as, as Phil said, as, as well as it could have gone to plan, for sure. Yeah, I think it's always worth bearing in mind that they're on the easiest side of the draw and played against some woeful teams in the pools, but we'll see how, how much they, they actually have progressed when they come up against Argentina. Um so yeah, they topped their group, which uh, yeah, box ticked for them. Well done, and kudos where they're due, I guess. Uh, that was swiftly followed then by England versus Samoa, which until the um, final game of the pool stages was looking like one of the most exciting, at least from a neutral's point of view. Uh, but Phil is our, our local English supporter, and he'll hopefully be happy with the. The win or 18 to 17 against Samoa, but maybe not happy with the way that things actually planned out in the game. Yeah, like similarly to Wales, in in a way, maybe not quite to the same extent. Before this match, England had been doing okay and doing, you know, getting the wins and sort of, um, yeah, even maybe performing slightly above expectations but this match was sort of awful again other than an early try that they they managed to score it sort of just went downhill from there and the sort of bringing Farrell we spoke about it last week and you guys particularly mentioned that you wouldn't <laughs> want to play Farrell at 12 they did exactly that 
um, four to 10 barrel at 12. And it, it just took away some of that fluency and it didn't really seem to have the desired effect. Um, I'll be very interested to see the, the lineup that, for the quarterfinal against Fiji uh, this weekend. But yeah, from an English perspective, it was a really disappointing performance. Uh, obviously, Samoa did very, very well. But from an English, English perspective, just, uh, yeah, very disappointing and doesn't give you, doesn't give you much uh, confidence going forward. Yeah, I think England were obviously, I mean, arguably should have lost. There's a lot of people very angry about um, the way that the TMO and the ref handled some of the decisions towards Samoa. Um, I must admit, I didn't watch it closely enough to weigh in on those, but I think even then at the death, you know, Samoa were charging off the field and if their, their winger was slightly pacier, um, they probably would have got it done. Um, and it probably puts a lot of Englishmen's uh, campaign in perspective. You know, they obviously had a very good win over Argentina, um, driven by George Ford, but that was probably as much because Argentina were just absolutely woeful that day. Yeah. Um, you know, and in Japan, Japan, not the same team as they've been in the past despite beating Samoa. Um, you know, I think... Uh, Chile, obviously, you know, just a, a tier two team. That's unfortunately, you know, it's their first World Cup. Like they're they're there to make up the numbers rather than being a, a fighting force. So England have had a bit of an easier ride of it. Um, and you know, maybe this is a, a pumped up some inside kind of a bit more physical showed that there are some chinks in that armor. But I think yeah, the the the, the Farrell forward things like why are you playing dual playmakers if you try to play a slow territory kicking game? You know, why? What's the point of having two distributors? It's kind of just a bit weird. Um, but I, what I think you yeah. can bank on is if you've got Farrell at 12, trying to defend against Tuasova and Aislavu, Radrandra, and he's trying to put in the dominant hit, um, the chances of a <laughs> red card is very, very high because <laughs> um, he's, he's going to you know, try and stamp his authority on those oaks. And the only way he's doing that is by you know, putting off his trademark, which yeah. you know, I don't think is going to – it's going to come go wrong at some point in the game. I did enjoy the irony of the commentators when Farrell was hit late and uh, without a rap, and they commented, it's, it's just ironic that he's the victim this time around. <laughs> uh, I also enjoyed the fact that the, the ref was strict on the shot clock and actually called him for kicking it late. I think at that point it was, uh, yeah, they were winning by one or something or um would have extended the the lead to a try rather than a, a penalty, and uh, yeah, he took too long and he kicked it after the the clock had clicked uh, clicked down. So good to see that enforced, and I just really enjoyed it a little bit more because it was Owen Farrell that was the <laughs> the villain. Um, we do yes. enjoy seeing him at the villain. Um, I I posted. It on would have the, been quite something if they'd lost the game because of that. Yeah, no, I mean it was totally fair. I don't think they can argue. Um, he would have been really vilified for that. Um, I've just been watching the the David Beckham documentary on Netflix and how he was vilified for his kick out at uh, who was it? Yeah, Simeone. Um, yes, yeah, Diego Simeone. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it wouldn't have had the same level because uh, rugby's just not respected as it is football, but. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, if, if if it got them knocked out in a playoff match, I think maybe it would. But you know, yeah. <laughs> Luckily for him, it didn't have a an impact in the end. Yeah. So I mean, just to labour this point a bit, do you, is he is he getting selected now for his his legacy? I mean, he's a uh, he's now been playing for England for he's forever. He's a proven match winner. 
Wait, why was that Scottish? Um, but <laughs> Very you know, every, every, every single time they ask the question, they're like, yeah, he's a proven match winner. He's a proven match winner. Well, I mean, he was very almost a proven match loser there by missing the shot block. But like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's you know it's, it's similar to the whole Pollard Lebok thing. It's like you know how much mm. you select on um, mm. reputation versus form versus what your team actually is trying to achieve. Um, yeah. And I get that he's the captain, but you know then start him at ten. I, I think like wow. I'd be far if I was England. I'd either do Farrell or Ford at ten, and I don't really care which one because I think they're also pretty. They offer pretty similar things, you know. I think Powell can manage a game and kick drop goals as well as Ford can. Um, yeah. But the question is, you know, why are you playing dual distributors in a system that's proven just not to work? I think we we should uh, just if 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 you guys can stomach this, we should uh, congratulate Owen Farrell. He broke the English record for highest point ever point scorer. He broke Johnny Wilkinson's record, uh, even though he only scored like six or seven points or whatever it was on on Sunday so he becomes the all-time top point scorer for England disgusting <laughs> well you know <laughs> I just wanted to I put mean, that out there that's, that's fair enough and uh, you know you can give him a, a subtle congratulations it was interesting that I mean didn't uh, Sexton do the same to Agara a couple of games ago yeah um, so it's both of the kind of English and Irish legends have both just been overtaken by by this generation. I think it's fair. I think, you know, both Farrell and Wilkinson probably have, maybe that's a strong shout um, on Farrell at least, but like being yeah. the longer term, more successful players. I think Farrell has to win a World Cup to even get close to Wilkinson. Yeah, it's quite a kind of real. I mean, he's won significantly more um, championships Sorry. and, yeah. and, yeah. um, Six Nations. Yeah. I think uh, so. But, but yeah. I've won a lines, I think, you know, things that, that Wilkinson never did. But, but yes. Yeah. I think the less we talk about that, the better. Um, on the, <laughs> on the Simone, <laughs> on the Simone side, I thought, um, Lima Sopoanga really, really injected a lot of energy into their lineup. Um, he was superior to, I think, Christian Lilifano, who's played the last couple of games with, Sopong out for injury uh, and a couple of other performers there from the Moana Pacifica who really put their hands up. So Samoa going home, unfortunately, um, I think also sort of as expected, but I think with their heads held high, I think that they were within a whisker of getting a win against England, which would have been, would have been fantastic, but it wasn't to be. All right. Uh, then we had the late game on Saturday, the, Probably the most anticipated game of the entire weekend, uh, certainly for Springbok fans, but I also think just generally. Ireland up against Scotland. So this was one of, you know, it was testing out the the very poor maths education levels here in South Africa with the various permutations that uh, were abounding. I think we were like third and third last in the world for maths um, and just sort of showing people were unsure of exactly what was going on and what result would result in South Africa going through top, second, or out. But uh, it sort of played out as expected. Um, I think Ireland were very much the favoured winners for this, and they did end up recording a 36-14 to 14 victory over Scotland, which, in in my opinion, flatters Scotland. But let's let's see what Anne thinks. Yeah, no, I, I definitely... I mean, I would say... I don't think it went as expected. I think people were... 
expecting Scotland to be a lot more competitive. Uh, the fact that Ireland were just absolutely smoking them. Uh, to the extent that they could pull half their like starters off at 30, 45 minutes or something, they're so comfortably in the lead. Uh, the Ireland were just hands and away the better side. Um, so yeah, it was a, an interesting game um, from a South African perspective because you know, it kind of looks at how just really good Ireland were. Um, however, uh, when they took Sexton off, Scotland actually won the last 20 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever. So you know, is that a worrying sign for Ireland? They actually are at the end of the day still quite dependent on um, Sexton. Possibly, yeah. Um, I was just, again, quite, maybe it's a bit harsh on Scotland, but I felt quite similar to the Italy performance, just how they just didn't really rock up in terms of putting a big match together you know like in terms of the temperament i think again they also just tried to you know go a bit too side to side not enough like tactical and territorial kicking and just disappointed for them not to make more of a game out of it to be honest by half time we felt like the game had gotten away from them they became a bit desperate they did score two nice tries after sexton was off as Ant mentioned um but by that point i feel like the game was over like Ant said uh and uh, Ireland bought off a whole lot of their first uh, first team players. So, yeah, from Ireland, just a couple of injuries, I think, is probably their biggest concern. I think they're not too bad, but both of their wings went off, and then James mm-hmm. Ryan as well. So we'll see yeah. if they are okay. Um, it's an interesting one to Scotland, because, I mean, this is meant to be their kind of, like, um, golden generation Scotland. And, you know, yes, obviously, we can talk about the draw, and it's unfortunate that they were on our side. But, I mean, yeah. they've didn't look like challenging South Africa or Ireland for a minute in either of those games. I mean, it, it was, I, th- I think like that, that level of dominance um, from, from the, the two proper teams. So, you know, I mean, who knows, maybe they would have given Wales or England or someone else a bit of a run, but you know, look, Scotland weren't going deep in this competition either way based on, based on those performances. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I think, what you mentioned for those that you know they were just going side to side not making any ground I don't know how much of that was poor Scottish attack versus just unbelievable Irish defence um, yeah, sure. like Scotland would attack attack for 20 phases and literally not make a metre um, but I think you can counter that by saying that the Irish um, the Scottish defence was woeful I mean they were just sitting back and waiting for the Irish basically to run at them and giving the Irish all that space for them to do all their loops like the Irish attack was a completely different scene this game versus Africa. Mm. I mean, strange, they could do their loops passive, around, yeah. and yeah. that's what I'm saying. They, you know, Ireland could do their loops at will. Whereas against Africa, I don't think they pulled a single one off. And even if they did, you know, there were four bodies in the passing lane, and they just got nowhere. So, um, you know, it, it definitely showed that if you do want to challenge this Ireland Irish defence uh, attack, you have to be upfront, physical, and in their faces. If, you know, doing any kind of sitting back and letting them run their shapes, it, even if you're just trying to pick off the eventual runner, like, yeah, it's not um, not going to pay off to you. Yeah, for me, you know, Scotland's uh, weapon really is their, their outside backs. They're, they're not a team that's going to dominate teams up front. They can hold their own, but that's about the best that they can they can ask for against a pack of Ireland or South Africa or France, like they're not, they're going to have to rely on strike plays from their, from their outside backs. And 
what Ireland did well and what South Africa usually does well in defense as well, it just cuts out those outside players. Like Duhan was nowhere. And when he got the ball, he was, he had three guys already there in front of him and he was trying to jink his way through. Same with Darcy Graham. I mean, he, he did, uh, he, he weaved his magic against Romania, but he just didn't get any of the space in this game. So I think that's, that's yeah. basically down to the Irish defensive system. And the Irish were just so good or first, like first phase play, the little set moves, running the little loops around Sexton and, and Bundy Aki is a, a dummy runner. Cause I think they were expecting him to run absolutely everything through um, trying to run at Finn Russell. And, and he actually didn't necessarily, they didn't use him as much in this game as the, as the crash ball center. They did little loops around to ring rows and put Hansen and Lowe yeah. into gaps. So um, I think Ireland played this game perfectly and from tactic tactic point of view. They they really nullified Scotland. Scotland didn't know what to do until the until the team was disrupted later on when they put five forwards on trying to also emulate South Africa in that way. And then it all sort of got a little bit helter-skelter. Which, which can we just touch on for a second? I mean, did, I saw multiple people commenting, oh, how good is it to see this, you know, Five forwards at once. It's so cool. And you're like, what? <laughs> We've been doing that the entire year, and you've always, and you've been like outright like attacking us, the Irish press. <laughs> so now suddenly the Irish do it, and it's lovely. Classic. You know, the commentator Irish. as well. He's like, oh, you know, the they need to use the wide angle lens just to fit them all into the shot. And you're like, Wait, why are you suddenly being so positive about this? Like, yeah, exactly. It was very, very weird and hypocritical, as you say. But. But one of the nice things about it was, as Andrews mentioned, it sort of didn't really work. They started playing worse after that. So it's like their <laughs> cheap imitation bomb squad. It was a, a bit of a dud in the end. Well, I think that's what people aren't maybe thinking about or giving proper credit for. Is that we've been practicing and trying and refining a lot of these things for like four years. And it's the same with the Peter Steph thing. It's like you can't just put a lock at, an athletic lock at blindside and expect him to be a blindside. Like Peter Steph did his internship. He played there for years and years and years. You can't just slap Tupavai or Scott Barrett or you know whoever you want at that flank and expect him to, to suddenly play super well. Like I think people don't give the South African brains trust um, nearly enough credit for the deliberate planning um, and, and thinking that they do around the way we play. I think there's obviously a, a deep mindset that's just oh you know South Africa are dumbs you know bang and crash off the corners and it's you see it coming out through a lot a lot in the media and it's just a bit cheap and, and silly to be honest. Um, particularly around this generation of the Springboks. Yeah, I think the last time the last time that was true was like 2003. <laughs> I'm stalled out. But since yeah. then, I mean, the Springboks... Well, even the Jake White year, it's, you know, maybe, but like, like post that, there. I mean, you can hardly say Peter de Villiers was... Well, I, mean, I don't know if I'd say he was a thinking man, but he definitely wasn't, um, you know, boring. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> that was my best Peter it wasn't very good um, yeah. this has not been a, a great show for impressions um, unfortunately not I think we should just stay away from that but maybe if I have a bit more whiskey it'll come out um, <laughs> yeah and, I mean Scotland is as we've all said like just just really underperformed um, the only time they really looked dangerous was against the absolute minnows in the group so a disappointing tournament from them, as we said. This is sort of their golden generation, uh, their their best ever team to go to a World Cup, supposedly. 
and yeah, they've they've been knocked out in the pool stages, and I think we'll we'll get on to our disappointments for the pool stages later. So maybe we'll move on for now and spend some more time talking about how shit Finn Russell was. Um, then we had the Sunday games, so we had three games on Sunday. We had the first game, Japan versus Argentina. Um, this was a game that was fairly highly billed. Again, one that could decide who goes through in the pool. So a lot to play for, sort of a, a mini knockout. Uh, what's what's above? You have semi-final, quarter-final, and octa-final or something. I don't know what you would... Round of 16. Round of 16. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds a lot better than octa-final. Um, so it's sort <laughs> of like a round of 16 game for them, a knockout. Uh, but as expected, I think um, several underperformers. Japan went down twenty-seven to thirty-nine against Argentina. Uh, who wants to have a, a go at summarizing their thoughts first? Um, no, I'll leave yeah. it to He's normally the Japan apologist. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, going into this game, obviously we had mentioned last week how both teams had failed to impress so far in the tournament. So I was dreading a bad game but i think they both dished up a pretty good game on the ice they both sort of um decided to try and run the ball and entertain us a little bit more and i think it it showed japan they have been nowhere near you know the heights of the last tournament and even in between 2019 and now we've just you know haven't seen the same japan so even when they looked pretty good in this match you know guys like himano um and lemeki they were they were looking a bit better but generally we still haven't seen anywhere near the level of performance which we previously did for argentina i think it was a step up um, Mateo Carreras on the wing obviously scored a hat-trick so he'll take all the headlines but I mean he's been scoring really amazing tries for the Falcons in England so to see him able to convert some of that into into the World Cup is pretty good and Boffelli was looking good on the wing so I am feeling a bit better about Argentina going into their quarterfinal against Wales which we'll get into a bit later as well but I think Argentina will be delighted you know to get through um and to beat Japan, who are technically a higher seed than them, even though, like we've said, just Japan have been disappointing. And even though I am, as Anne said, an apologist, I am <laughs> a big Jamie Joseph fan, and I was very excited to see Tony Brown when I was in Leon. Um, yeah, I think their time has come to an end, and I'm happy to see the next era for whatever happens with Japan going forward. Well, I mean, that's it's there was a sneaky. Reveal um, by Joseph at the end of the that game, um, seeming to suggest that the next uh, well, his comment directly was that um, he thinks the next coach is going to be very good at playing guitar, which is uh, something Dave Rennie was obviously famous for in his Wallace these days. Um, so that's the it's a low down rumor um, that would suggest that Dave Rennie would take over, and I think he would probably be quite a good coach for it. I think you know he's a, a team spirit first kind of coach. I think that they yeah. definitely suit. Japanese vibe. Um, yeah, I'd much prefer him to Eddie Jones. Let's just put that up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it was interesting that Japan had Argentina until the 70th minute within two points. Um, that was tighter than I'd expected. Of course, they got a, a better winning margin by the end of the game, but they were made to work for it. So Argentina have not been their best and they I think before the tournament, if we'd said, uh, you know, Argentina, they might have lost to England. That's sort of 
it's sort of understandable, although we hoped that it would go the other way, at least two of the three, the three of us. Um, I think we'd be confident of them in a quarterfinal, and maybe we're not so confident now. But, yeah, uh, we'll we'll get into that in a second. So, yeah, they, they are through. Japan go home. Um, disappointing tournament for them. Then the next one, which was a dead rubber, was Tonga versus Romania. So this was in the Springboks pool. Romania, the perennial whipping boys, looking to put in a performance to to take some honour home with them. Um, Tonga, you know, saying goodbye to a couple of influential players. Uh, George Moala getting um, a rare run out after his ban. And it was very effective as he took uh, Tonga to a 45-24 to 24 victory over Romania. So Romania, I think, happy to score some points finally. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Maybe start with Ant. Romania were properly into this game. I mean, considering like, um, you know, they got absolutely spanked by everyone else and it just sounds like there's been lots of, well, not... It does sound like there's a huge amount of upheaval there. A lot of the players have been speaking about, about uh, against the coach and the current administration. They obviously helped lost their coach a couple of months ago just for the World Cup. Um, there's apparently some players walked away from the team just before the World Cup and some are threatening to. Um, something about any player playing for a foreign league that national union wants to take a cut from them. So it all just sounds like a very negative environment, um, you know, which isn't great. But, you know, so which is maybe contributing to the, the terrible results they got against the rest of the teams in their pool. But, you know, great to see them be competitive against Tonga um, for a fair chunk of it. I mean, I'm not quite sure when in the game they ended up running away from it. I can't remember exactly, but you know, it definitely wasn't a, a one-sided romp. Yeah. Which, you know, which probably uh... speaks more to the, the poorness of, of Tonga than the, the goodness of Romania, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I think, you know, Tonga certainly punched far below their weights that people were expecting, and especially considering they, all the they ex all blacks that got in their lineup. They're considerable 151 kilogram weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he's been yeah. the one shining light, you know. I think Kamio <laughs> Funa has yeah. shown that, like, he's he's outplayed all of his, his ex all black friends, I would say. And the French fans also love him. When I was there for the Tonga South Africa game, he was getting massive cheers when he was going off the field and when he was going on his runs. So he also had a really nice run in this match where he, I think he did a little goose step. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, this it was actually 28-24 after like 56 minutes. So at that point, yeah, like exactly. super close. So um yeah, I, I think guys like Charles Pietau, who is one of my favorite players, but he's a weird sort of player. He's like um, such a good individual player, I think, but he's not that good as like being an effective part of a, a team backline. So give him the ball, like, you know, he's going to step someone out. I think it was against Scotland where he, uh, where he stepped, um, oh, his Ireland, he absolutely... Uh, got through Hugo Keenan, who's obviously a really good fullback, like yeah. twice twice in a row. So mm, such mm. a good like one on one player. But even in this match, he had some really nice touches. But he's just not the most effective player. But uh, yeah, for Tonga, it's also it's just one of those weird ones. Being in such a tough group, they would have targeted probably the Scotland game, no thinking this one would be a guaranteed win. So just a overall, I guess, a disappointing tournament for Tonga, even though they didn't embarrass themselves. Uh, I don't know. They they probably were never favoured to get through the group. I think we just expected they'd give a better account of themselves. They gave us a scare in 
what was it, 2007 or was it 2019? Yeah. 2007. 2007. Um, yeah, I remember JP Peterson putting in some important last ditch tackles to save us from from some that was awkward... in the quarterfinal, but it's okay. Oh well, we'll check the highlights real. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was involved in the Tonga game as well. Um, oh, he was playing, but it was the, the the famous tackle was the Fiji quarterfinal. Uh, the the Tonga one we were twenty all, and then we brought on like Matthew John Smith, John Stain, like half of the starting lineup off the bench, Habana, the and then booth. they pumped us and pumped it up, and we won thirty five twenty. And thing in the end, birth of the bomb squad, exactly. Yeah, birth of the bomb squad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, Tonga gave us some excitement, um, but as as we said, I think pretty pretty soft exit for them at the end of the day given that they have all these amazing ex-All Blacks. But I guess there's a reason they're ex-All Blacks and not current All Blacks. So always good to bear that in mind. Uh, all right. And then the the last game of the pool stages served up one of the most exciting games of the entire tournament so far, I think. Um, the much-favoured Fijians going up against plucky Portugal, who have been one of the surprises of the tournament for sure. Uh, I think we all expected Fiji to to have a, a decent run of this. But uh, as I said, one of the most exciting games of the pool stages with the biggest upset of the World Cup so far. Portugal sneaking a 24-23 to 23 victory. And did you celebrate? I was very excited by this. It was such a weird one because on the one hand, like, you know, you we all support Fiji. Um, completely um but now on the other hand like you also um really just you know, can't help but cheer for the underdog yeah, <laughs> so exactly. it was a very, a very strange game um you know trying to figure out who you who you wanted to support um but no i mean i, was, I think at the end of the day it was actually kind of the perfect result because fiji still get to go through to the quarterfinals australia mm-hmm. go home um, and Portugal get their first ever win. So I think all around, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way it panned out. And you, know, it, it, you kept waiting for Fiji to uh, really just run away with it, and Portugal just hung in there. Um, you know, and and you know, that last try that they took was just really great play. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a very enjoyable game. You know, good quality play, um, and yeah, just the the the, the Portuguese are just a great team, it looks like. Like they're just so much fun to watch. They play fun rugby. Um the Tadja, the hooker is just a vibe. I mean <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many players to enjoy um in that game. Like so yeah, it was just it was a really fun game to watch. I think Fiji played under their, their themselves quite a lot. Um I think yeah, I think they'll play very differently against England. So Sets up a very interesting semi-final, quarter-final there at least. Yeah, but what just what a game from a like a neutral perspective as well. But also, you can't. I think uh, Portugal wormed their way into everyone's hearts just from this tournament. Like, uh, I think we all got excited when they scored their first try just after halftime. But then I think Botia scored like straight afterwards. But then they, you know, stayed in the game and uh, scored another and then that last try at the end was just magical it's crazy i think storty the wing he made the break and then passed inside like he had an amazing game as well i think the official man of the match was martins martins um yeah 
the flank. Lock and flank. He, he's been great the whole tournament, just like making tackles like a machine. Um, well, so he's we, top top four as fantasy scorer, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean that and a bargain. So I I don't I think I only put him in my team once or something. I should have put him in every week. Um, but yeah, just uh, so excited for Portugal. Like Ant said, perfect outcome. Still get CPG go through. Portugal get their first ever win. They also came fourth in their group, which I don't know if it means much. We know top three get automatic qualification, but not finishing bottom of the group is a great achievement for a team like Portugal. So, yeah, I think if there was a prize for, you know, like, well, we'll talk about biggest overachievers and all of that, but they've definitely stolen people's hearts in this tournament. (laughs) There were five weeks of pool play. And obviously, Portugal had a bye week in those five weeks. But in the team of the week for the four other weeks, there were either two Portugal locks in the team of the week or one Portugal lock for the other two weeks. It was just ridiculous wow. how how effective they were and how, how much they grafted. Obviously, it helped that they had you know consistent selection of their locks, which other teams rested and rotated. But incredible game and I think Storti should have scored two tries and he didn't have to pass inside to Marta and then he had that that one where he just knocked the ball over the line like within a foot of the line it was just the most exciting game to watch as a neutral and I think Ant said something important I think he he said the that Fiji will play quite differently against England and I think that's also fair there'll be some some rotation in of guys like Rodatra maybe and a few others who who will come in and Fiji looked like they might have had a few injuries in that game. So we'll see who they put out and how they approach the game. They've obviously beaten England recently. So I think it will be a different game. But as 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 you said, Ant, like the perfect result from a neutrals point of view. Amazing win for the underdog. Uh Fiji still go through and Australia go home. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, much. <laughs> yeah, sorry to our one Australian listener. Um all right, so so that brings us to the end of the pool stages. Maybe just a, a quick reflection on those as a whole before we move on to the quarterfinals. So um, we've talked a little bit about the teams that we felt underperformed, um, the likes of Italy and Scotland and Tonga. Is there anything else to add under that point? Anything else you guys want to raise at this point before we move on? I mean, I'd, I'd say Samoa underperformed as well. I think they would be on my list. Um, and, and Australia definitely underperformed. I mm. don't think we can skip past that. Um, you know, first ever time losing a knockout game is, is quite a quite a statement. Sorry, first ever time not making the knockout stage is quite a telling thing for them. Um, so yeah, it's weird. I think all the overperformances were, you know, basically your minnows, you know, um, Uruguay. Um, Namibia had a pretty good tournament by their standards, I would say. Um, Portugal, obviously, but yeah, a lot of the disappointing teams are you know your Tonga, your Samoa, um, and uh, Australia, Argentina. They've been disappointing. Japan, Japan, probably on par. Well, no, Japan came in with very little form, you know. So I think yeah. third in the pool is pretty good for them. I'd say. Um, you know, I think that's kind of where they should have been given who was in their pool and their form, but. But I think Samoa, the way they pushed um, Ireland, I think they could have asked for more. And Argentina just haven't played particularly well. Yeah. And again, I think England and Wales have done what they needed to do. It's hard to say how uh, how well they've been playing, given the opposition. But you can only beat what's in front of you. 
to some extent, um, uh, even though England made it really, really tough on, on Sunday. But they, ultimately, both England and Wales won four out of four, so we have to give them credit. Yeah. Uh, completely. And, you know, they were some of the first teams to qualify. So, uh, I mean, Ireland, technically, even on the last weekend, despite beating South Africa, despite smashing Tonga and Scotland, still technically could have gone home. Um, you know, without even the most ridiculous result, obviously, I mean, in hindsight, they pumped Scotland. But, I mean, Scotland only needed to win by eight. Like, that's not an insane scoreline. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Th- yeah, we've talked a lot about it, but I think the, the only team that we've mentioned here that we had a realistic expectation of going through to the knockouts was Australia. And it's just been, and like someone said on, on, on Twitter, like a car crash in slow motion, just horrible to watch, but you also just can't take your eyes away. Cause <laughs> as South Africans, yeah, you almost, you almost don't want to celebrate how badly they're doing because it is so sad. And it started before the, you know, the tournament even started. Oh, we yeah, spoke yeah. about we spoke about the team announcement and just being shocked and just being like, what what are they doing? What's on? Why is Hooper at home? Why is Cooper not even in the squad? Like like there's, you know, making big calls and there's just like being almost stubborn about it. Like, sure, you can choose to maybe start Donaldson ahead of Cooper or something, but don't leave him out of the squad completely. What if you need that backup option? And so it started way at the beginning, you know, with the, the with that squad selection. And when you make a bold squad selection like that, you sort of have to hope that it works. Otherwise, you look completely stupid. And that's what ended up happening. So Eddie out. I if I was an Australian fan, I wouldn't be able to cope with it if they kept him. Like, he has to be out in my perspective. But the thing is, what else do you, I mean, who else do you bring in? Like, it's, I mean, I, I, I completely agree he's completely bottled this, but like, <sighs> at the same time, you know, what's the alternative? Paying yeah. out another contract and um, it's it's really a weird one. You know, I feel like Eddie's kind of made his bed. Yeah. He's made, took all these gambles. He said, yeah, I know we're fixing the next World Cup, the Lions tour, whatever, whatever. It's kind of like, yeah, well, now, now prove it. You know, like, we'll, and not for any other reason, just it would be unfair to let another coach have to deal with the mess he's left behind. Uh, you know, it's yeah. kind of like, Eddie, you, you think you're the Messiah? Like, you now solve the world's problems, is kind of the <laughs> feeling I've got. It's a tough one. Eh? For me, it's almost like a sunk cost. Like, I don't have any faith in him to turn it around. So, I would uh-huh. rather go elsewhere, even though it's going to be hard for someone else. But it's hard. It's a it's a shitty position for the people to be in. And and like we said, when it happened, you know, maybe they have to look at themselves and take some of the blame. The people at the top. Well, how can he have the oh, trust? In- Hamish McLennan completely is to blame. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah, no, it was a terrible decision. We said so. Um, we've we've got a three of us on I told you so Island today. Um, <laughs> there's, I mean, but how how does he have the the confidence and the trust of the dressing room moving forward? Like, what made it so much worse was he was just so Australian about it and so flippin' cocky and vain and like, oh, we'll prove you wrong. And if you don't know about rugby, don't talk to me. And like, he knows fuck all about rugby apparently, just based on the results of the team. And like, I, I can't see how he continues as Australian coach. Yeah, yeah, but again, the guy that's making the decision is McLennan, who loves him. Um, you know, and, and they'll be in cahoots and planning it this whole time. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just a mess. It really is just, I, I mean, as you said, it's not actually 
funny. You know, obviously, Africans and Australians have that not even playful rivalry, straight up rivalry. Um, but to see a rival do so badly um, for, to be honest, really avoidable issues, um, it is just kind of sad. Like, I, I really feel bad. And I feel bad for Mitch. Like, <laughs> bad. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, <laughs> when I got to Leon, it was the Monday just after they took that massive um, loss to Wales. And just seeing some Australian fans, like, they all looked so over it and out of it. And I felt bad for them there. There was one guy in the hotel who was complaining about everything. And I was like, normally I would just think he's a dick for complaining about everything at the hotel. <laughs> but he was obviously just in a bad mood because of, you know, the rugby. And he was taking it out on everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh, shit. Oh, we'll see what... Well, there's been no announcements there. We'll see what plays out, but uh, you'll hear it on, on an episode of ERB pod at some point. Um, And then quickly, before we get into the quarterfinals, anyone want to point fingers at specific players? I already said I thought Finn Russell way underperformed, given that he just couldn't yeah. unlock that, that Scottish backline. I mean, that's his, that's his job. Anyone else, or do you want to debate me on that? No, I completely agree with um, Farrell. It's, I mean, Russell's been in my head for a while and I've just never got around to mentioning it. But I think against us and against Ireland, you know, he didn't didn't, didn't perform nearly what we needed him to uh, or what Scotland needed him to. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's like underperformed from him massively. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to think of any other individuals who really stand out as, you know, having bad performances. I'm I mean, there's a whole Australian team, but it's hard to pick out people <laughs> from from that team, right? Um, and well, I don't even know if any of the individual performances in Australia were were bad. You know, I mean, there were yeah, you know exactly. certain small silly areas, but you know, like the players were trying their hearts out. Like you can't fault the effort, yeah. uh, execution maybe, but I mean, that's a separate point. Um, you know, you can't you can't blame a fish for being bad at climbing a tree, and I think that's what Eddie did. You know, he gave a twenty year old. Rookie yeah. fly off the expectation to win a gold final. It's like, well, his fault. He's going to make some mistakes. Um, I think for me, the biggest disappointments were kind of all the ex New Zealand players. Um, and I, you know, I don't really don't want to harp on about this because it feels like a broken record to an extent. But <laughs> you know, none of them performed. I would say Lilifano was disappointing. Okay, maybe Sopoanga was decent, but Pietar was poor. Um, I don't know Luatua was poor. Like. All of these guys that we're meant to bring in and make the Islanders good, I really don't think any of them did what they were expected to do, to be honest. Um, I'm you know, happy to have a disagreement, but I don't think any of them really were particularly great. I, I think it's a fair point. I mean, if you do look at Samoa and Tonga, we've, we've named them both as relative disappointments, but ha- have they also improved? I, I'm not sure. I haven't done a proper like look at their previous results. Um, obviously, this is the first time that they've had proper access to these X Wallabies and All Blacks, like we've said. But I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe they have, like, just in terms of the raw numbers, made like improvements. But uh, in terms of expectations, yeah, I, I think I agree. Like even guys like Pietau um, and. Um, like George Maala played one match and got man of the match, so maybe it's harsh on him. But he only played one match because he got banned for making a stupid tackle. So, yeah, I agree with you, Ant. Yeah, there's not much more to say. I think it's easier to pick out like better performing players than underperforming ones. Do we want to do that? Yeah, I'm going to rack my brain. I think it was... Well, I think in the was... in the 
in the bad Australian team, um, probably the one guy who I always see putting his heart out is like Angus Bell or Gus Bell. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he, his number of carries and his number of tackles, even in a losing effort, is just insane. Like, and I think you mentioned Andrew or someone mentioned he, he's like still only twenty two. He's still a relative youngster. He's got the world at his feet if, as long as he can have a team to back it up. So, I think even in a losing effort, he did pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Bell, Bell was really good. I think Noana Wanganita Wase did his reputation, no harm. Um, I think Okaredi oh, is definitely someone that I think underperformed. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, sure. how much of that was just he was playing, you know, with carrying an injury, to be honest. Um, you know, he definitely wasn't on um, full health. Yeah. But, you know, still kind of didn't perform to the level we've come to expect from him. Yeah, we mentioned uh, quite a number of the Portuguese players already. I mean, the ones who sort of performed on Sunday were the ones who have been performing in the tournament. Uh, maybe also the scrum off their captain, the one who mm-hmm. kicked Marquez, the yeah. Marquez. Marquez. Um, you know, he's he was the one who kicked the goal to get to qualify, and he was he like everything just ran through him, you know, like mm-hmm. for their performance. So hopefully, because I, I think he's quite old, so he might retire. Hopefully, this will be last awesome test. Oh, yes, yeah, it was his last test. So hopefully they'll be able to get a decent replacement when he's gone. Um, yeah, and you mentioned for Uruguay, some of their players like Ardao and uh, Arata. I think Echeverry for the Flyhouse mm-hmm. was also pretty mm-hmm. good until I think the last game he had a bit of a uh, not-so-good game. But before that, he was very, very good. And obviously, like Tamafuna was one guy who's always putting his body on the line. Um, for Samoa, the, is, he's the lock. He sometimes plays flank. Uh, the Saracens guy, what's his name? Theo um, McFarland. Yes, yeah, he's always like exciting to watch. I, I'm not sure again how like effective he is, especially as like a big player. But he's always fun. Like he's always sort of throwing the crazy offloads, and he's got like the basketball style. Um, yeah. Uh, who else? I guess Bandiaki is like being just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Player play of the tournament. And I think so Sexton far. as well. Sexton too. Um, for France, Pinot has just been out of this world every game, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to say, like, Pinot outperformed when he's just, you know, expected to be good. I think, I mean, he's on six already. I reckon, I mean, obviously, we're going to beat France on Saturday, Sunday, so it's fine. Yeah. But but if he, if I mean, if 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 they if they were to beat us, then, then he's definitely going to be break the five scoring record, I think. Um, yeah. But he's gonna lose, so it's fine. He, he might. He's not gonna get more than two tries this game, and then he won't play again. So it's fine. But yeah, I think that pretty much covers like the top performers. Yeah, I I will get to the quarterfinals in a second. I just I wonder who New Zealand will go for in their wings for the quarterfinal, just given that Jordan Fanganuku and Talia have all been so strong. Um, yeah. Given that Fanganuku's only played the weaker teams, I think they might stick with Talia and and Jordan. But Fanganuku's put up his hand about as much as he could have. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's they'll go Talia Jordan, but and it's yeah. Yeah, it's just unfortunate they have three really good wings. And that's without yeah, I don't think we'll see any surprise in the All Black team. I think like um, the, the, any if anything, there'll be interesting stuff on the bench. 
uh, you know, what split do they go for there? But I think, I mean, in the forward pack, it's, it's pretty, pretty set. Prop. I mean, sorry, the, the starting line, I think, is pretty set. Yeah, they have been pretty consistent with that. All right, should we should we go to the quarterfinals? Are you ready for this? Yeah. <clears throat> yep, All right. Let's bring it on. So Saturday, we have the two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. For our South African listeners, they're at 5 and 9 p.m. respectively. The first one on the easy side of the draw, we have Wales versus Argentina. Um, maybe I won't preface it. Maybe I'll give you guys a chance to preface who wants to go. Well, I'm just going to make an overall comment quickly. Isn't it? Despite everyone's annoyance with the draw and the way that it is, we all know it's unfair and stupid, but it has given a situation where all four quarterfinals are really, really hard to call. You know, if you'd split it the other way around, you know, you'd say, oh, yeah, South Africa versus Wales, definitely South Africa favourites. But and, you know, with the way that it is now, I think it's really tough to call. It's really tough to call. And, and also there's a, a north-south element to every single quarterfinal, which is quite cool. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a chance that it could be the first time all four um, rugby championship semifinals are, are, yeah, don't make the semifinals. You know, the reverse of what happened in 2015, where all four semifinals were the Southern Hemisphere teams. Yeah. So, especially yeah, especially um, because the group winners were all Northern Hemisphere. So, technically, like based on form, they would be favorites. So, Phil, are you saying that Wales should beat Argentina? Uh, yeah, so I'm not going to go for all Northern Hemisphere teams, but in this particular matchup, <laughs> I'm going to pick Wales. Um, wow. I, th- I-, I think I've seen enough from Wales and just d- disappointed in Argentina uh, in terms of them not bringing enough to the table. Mm. I think Wales are functional enough and they'll be able to get through. Dan Bigger will be back at Flyhoff and yeah. You know, under Gatlin, like Ant said earlier, they've just managed to be a pretty efficient team. And I think that they will be able enough to pull them through. Importantly, uh, Argentina's talisman's gone home, Matera as well. Yeah, I think that's massive for them. Like, they have other good loose forwards, but none quite in the mold of Matera. Like, none who quite fulfill that role. Most of the others are a bit bigger and bulkier, I think. So, they'll, they'll be missing Matera for sure. Yeah, I think I agree with Phil. I mean, I'd say Wales are the favourites, and not even just slightly. I think they they would say they're comfortably the favourites. Um, but I think it's definitely going to be the least enjoyable, fun game to watch. Um, I think you know, I don't. I think Argentina could do it, but I think they're going to need to raise the game a lot more than what they've been doing over the tournament. Where I think Wales are kind of playing to as good of their potential as they can. Um, they know what they're doing. They stick stick to it. It's good. Argentina have, there's just too many, too erratic and too many errors. And I think, you know, Wales will just kick over some threes and just put the pressure on Argentina. And you know, kind of like, kind of like if they did against England um, or England did against Argentina. That's kind of my feeling. Sure. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to be oppositional and say that Argentina will pull it together. Um I think that Wales have enough chinks in the armor. They were run close by a number of teams for before the tournament and then uh, during the tournament. I mean, what was their last game? Georgia. Um, even Georgia were you know, on their tails and underperforming Georgia. So I'm going to say it's it's a battle of two teams who haven't... Wales have played to potential. Argentina's ceiling is way better than Wales' ceiling. So I'm going to say that they pull themselves together. Okay. So we'll see, but it, yeah, it has, it's it has, going to be a chica shouty masterclass to get them up for it. 
I, I think it might be. Um, yeah. Well, I think each of these, I wouldn't be surprised if we had a split panel on every single one of these quarterfinals, but uh, let's let's keep moving forward then. Um, Ireland versus New Zealand. Uh, geez, these really are not easy to call. Um, and your first thoughts on this one? <laughs> Oh god, I don't know. Um, look, it's got to be Ireland. They, they again, logically, they have to be the favourites. They are. Uh, they've beaten New Zealand. New Zealand last year. They're um, playing just so much more completely than than New Zealand are. You know, if you compare their pool stages, New Zealand lost to France badly, and Ireland beat South Africa, and they've beaten everyone else um, quite comfortably. But I think it's what I think what's throwing the spanners that works is New Zealand now have Frizzell and Jordy Barrett back, and Ireland, if they lose, say no, James Ryan, uh, Mac Hansen, yeah, suddenly it's a very very different situation. Um, so I'm yeah again going to go Ireland, but like probably less confidently than I'd say Wales. Well, so far you're right, Andrew, because I am splitting the panel. Um, I'm I'm going for an All Blacks win. I I I think I'm a I don't know what it is, but I, I struggle to look past how well the All Blacks can play, and I've seen how how much of uh, the usual cliches almost now that we're talking about Ireland, their sort of efficient machine-like performances. But I still think that. I'm worried about the Tyrell Lomax injury, but I, I, I think that the New Zealand pack has enough to not be superior, but to, you know, uh, sort of match the island pack and then for the New Zealand backs to outperform the island backs. And maybe it's more of a hope thing. Maybe it's, I think, I, I do think form and sort of, you know, general common sense points more to an Ireland win. But I, I think New Zealand can do it, and I'm backing the All Blacks to knock out Ireland in yet another quarterfinal. Oh, oh man. I, I, <laughs> Ireland, are, Ireland are better coached. They're, they're number one in the world. They've gone a, like, incredible win streak. streak. They've beaten New Zealand in New Zealand in the recent history. Like there's a lot of good reasons, but again, I feel I'm I'm sort of finding myself and, and New, on the other hand, New Zealand came into this tournament and we were like, this is a poor New Zealand team, they all form, um, they're very beatable. But for me, in these close games, it feels like New Zealand find ways to win and they have the players that can what do you, what are you basing this on though? They got pumped by us, they got pumped by France. And then they, you know, beat three crappy teams. Like, what are you basing this New Zealand confidence on? They, I don't think they've. This is the same New Zealand team we're talking about. <laughs> that, Whereas that, Ireland have proved that they can. They beat France. They beat South Africa. You know, they they're beating the teams when they should be losing. But they've um, never won a quarterfinal before. They've that's Ireland have never won a quarterfinal. And and if you did a if you did a head to head. You know, this is why head-to-heads are not the perfect measure. But if you did a head-to-head, <laughs> yeah. Ireland backline versus New Zealand backline, for instance, they have the individual qualities to get them over the line. Even if the team isn't performing as a team that well, they just have the X factor in spades like no other team in world rugby. 
which you can just never no, run Ireland, Ireland have the team chemistry that no other team in world rugby has. Except but they also like just that. have like a Wallaby and All Black Rejects, so surely. <laughs> yeah, but we know that doesn't mean anything in the Irish setup. It's true. Oh. I mean, this is why it's such a fascinating matchup, though. I really can't wait. Like, James Lowe against, you know, all these All Blacks, uh, Mac Hansen, Bundy Aki, Janice and Gibson Park. It's yeah. such a good matchup. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah. What happens if there's a draw? Real question. <laughs> so yeah, it goes, goes to extra time, extra time. And then eventually it goes to dropouts, drop goals. And if okay. it's still like even on dropouts or something, then Ireland win because they're higher ranked. I think something Just... stupid like that. But I mean, that, that's like the ultimate. There has to be like no tiebreakers. Who, who wins in a drop goal shootout? Is Ty Furler nailing I don't, how, how, I don't know how it, drop goal? I, I don't he's know no, how he, it works. He's like, no Tadger. <laughs> If Tadger, if, Tadger, if Tadger was if Tadger was in the team, we're backing him all the way. No, it's Portugal. They had nine different players kick the ball in their game. Like there's a record. Um, also, literally. Also the, so no, also, Portugal, Portugal, and they all can play soccer. So definitely, Portugal are winning the drop goal shootout if it comes to it. Also, that um, might be how I pronounce Furlong's first name because I just don't know how to say it. So I also say Tadger, Tadger Furlong. <laughs> Tadger Furlong, yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know where to put my money on this one. Um, head, head says Ireland, so I guess I'm going Ireland. Fair enough. Cool. Um, sure, it's going to be a heavy game. Um, all right, the third penultimate quarterfinal, England versus Fiji. Uh, Phil, you're the English fan. Are you confident? I'm confident enough. I think Fiji BG, BG have been such a strange team to watch. Like their first game against Wales, they were really exciting and they sh probably should have won, um, but they couldn't pull through. Against Australia, they did enough and that was a good match. But since then, the, like the performance against Georgia and the performance against Portugal, maybe where they've been favorites, they've struggled to perform. So, um, uh, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, but... I'm confident enough in England's uh, capability to win, despite them obviously losing just before the tournament started. Uh, I think Caleb Munster was a big part of the reason why Fiji were able to win in that match. Um, they kicked uh, flawlessly. Um, and England haven't been amazing, but I think they'll again be functional enough that they'll be able to do enough to get over the line. And as much as, as cool as it would be to see Fiji make a semifinal, I don't think they've quite been good enough, to be honest. Oh, I'm doing this for the third time. The stupid head is saying England, but I do. I think I, I think this is the closest of the three where I think I think Fiji will win. I think Fiji, as you say, they they've always struggled to be a consistent team, and I think you know, particularly now they had you know the um, the expectation of being the favourites on top of their heads. Um, I think now with a week to reset, really get their heads down and kind of focus on a goal. I reckon this will change things somewhat and they will get the job done. I'm flipping and then going to say, yeah, actually, the easy pocket. Is that, <laughs> is that your heart rather than your head? I hear. It, it's, it's, it, it's definitely heart, but I don't think it's a no head. Sure. sure. I think there is a bit of head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'm trying very hard not to make... Um, 
a joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's all about the bounce of the ball. Yeah, the, eh? the, the, the kids <laughs> are listening, and the kids are listening. Move on. <laughs> Uh, and what about you, Andrew? What do you think about this game? Uh, 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 before the tournament, th- there's a reason I think that we made such a big deal about Fiji beating England, okay, given it was a Twickenham in England, which has a lot of significance, but it was unexpected. But England have just been so poor over the last six months under Steve Borthwick, basically. Um, but I, I well, think I think and under like Eddie Jones before that, and under Eddie Jones, yeah, that's why he was fired. But I also think they've they've got enough in them to to win this one in a scrappy, horrible game. Um, yeah, I'm going to go England. Horribly, I feel terrible saying that, but I'll be cheering for Fiji. But I'll go for England. We're going to need to make a recap of these so we can figure out who's on which island next week. <laughs> yeah. well, be- so so we've we've said what three games uh and each of them has so andrew was the one for the only one to say um argentina argentina i was the only, was one, the to only say, one to say i i said new zealand wait andrew so you said i went ireland now okay i, I, to- I talked to I talked up New Zealand and then went back to Ireland. <laughs> and, 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 and convinced you out of it, yeah. yeah. Um, Classic flip-flop. And flip. then I've gone England and you guys have gone Fiji. Okay, so the you, last game. You, you can call me flip-flop the block. <laughs> flip dice. So, 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 so Phil's actually just picking against us every time. Oh, really? Yeah, except for Wales, Argentina. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the after, oh, you, oh, Sorry, never mind. Okay, cool. So, yeah, the, the most important one from South African point of view, obviously, hosts France and the Springboks team who came second in their pool. You go first, Andrew. Tell us what oh, you fuck. think. No, don't do that to me. I'm the host. I decide these things. <laughs> this is true. Uh, no. Um, so, we'll talk about it a bit first. I mean, France have come into this tournament. They lost um, Intermac. We all sounded the alarm bells. They had a few scratchy performances. But through this World Cup, they've just turned it on in incredible ways. They beat New Zealand fairly emphatically. South Africa have done the South African thing where they've just dominated teams but not done it on the scoreboard necessarily. Um, But they've looked like a really good unit. I think the big question is who gets selected at 10 to a lesser extent, 13, because I don't think Lukanya Am gets a look in at this late stage, but it is a possibility. So team selection is going to play into this, I think, a lot, and we could talk about that. My head says if South Africa pull a complete performance, they're the better side. Will they? <laughs> um, I'm going to be patriotic and say yes. I'm going South Africa, but it's going to be tight. It's going to be a a flipping war. I think I agree. I think South Africa have a higher ceiling and I think we have the team to beat France in a way that I don't think New Zealand or Ireland do. Does that make sense? Um, we can smother back lines yeah. like no other team in world rugby. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean... It's the obvious thing to say, but I think a lot of it really just depends if Dupont plays. 
I think he's so much more threatening uh, than Luku is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it, the, the question is really just do we play to our potential? And if the answer is yes, then we win. Um, I think we we have the highest ceiling of the top teams. Um, yeah, that's that's my comment. Um, and I think I think. Rusty and Jacques have proven that they are so calculated and planned that they'll know what they need to do for this game. They'll have stuff in the locker and they'll pull it out when they need to do it. I'm so nervous, guys. Um, watching <laughs> that France-Italy match, um, I, I can't remember which try it was, but there was one decision where the whole crowd, like, pretty much all 60,000 or however many were in the stadium. I think it was in Leon. Um, they were all like whistling so hard and doing that. And I really think for the first time, and maybe you'll have a, a, a response about these TMOs, but I really felt for the first time that the referees and the TMOs were influenced by the crowd. Um, where they where they went to a decision and they looked at it because of the cacophonous uh, noise from the crowd. And I'm so worried that it might mm -hmm. have some sort of effect on, on Sunday. Uh, I don't know yet who the match officials are. I don't know if they've announced them. We obviously ex we're expecting a team announcement tomorrow. So whether Pollard or LeBoc starts is a big one, but I'm not too uh, concerned about that. I'm not too nervous about whichever direction they go with. I, I, I'm placing a lot of trust, uh, sort of like Andrew says, um, or, and you might've been you, just trusting in Rossi and Jacques and, and what their back, like what their plan is, but you can only control so much. And I, I, I also back the box. I'm going for a Springbok win for sure. Um, I'm just so nervous because it's a big game. I was expecting this, as we know from our initial predictions, to be the final, um, to break uh, French hearts in the final. But if we have to do it in the quarterfinal, so be it. You know, We might become public enemy number one, but that's where we like to be sometimes as the Springboks. <laughs> At least we can't have a French referee. That's true. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, I mean, that's it's, a great that's a setup. <laughs> It's I think it's probably going to be Wayne Barnes or Luke Pierce, uh, one of the English guys, I would uh, imagine. Maybe. Yeah. I'm hoping it's Wayne Barnes because Luke Pierce showed on the weekend that he is you know, somewhat blind. And it, and it's not going to be Nick Berry because of the history. So, But also, Nick Berry was straight up horrific. Yeah. I don't know why Nick Berry gets Benno, so many yeah, big matches. Don't want Ben O'Keefe. <laughs> That's why maybe Wayne Barnes is best. He can, uh, although he likes to give France uh, tries from forward passes every now and then. 2007. Yeah. So, so do you guys think Pollard or Lebok? How, what, what's it going to be? Like, what's it based on? I'm like you. I'm not actually too bothered. Um, I think. I mean, it makes sense to go uh, Lebok. I think. Throwing Pollard in, it just feels like a really big risk. But like at the same time, Pollard's proven he can do it. And um, maybe, but, but yeah, I, I read something today saying that maybe you start Pollard in case he's not match fit, and then you yank him uh, a bit early. You know? Yeah, I guess and the have on the back. Yeah, the counterpoint to that would be you'd sort of taking away from Libok's confidence, and he's quite a confidence player. But at the same time. I don't. I don't think he's that 
not fragile, maybe that's a bit of a harsh word, but I don't think he's like not mentally strong enough that he can't cope with starting on a bench. Also, I think the Springbok management, they are so upfront and clear with their players around plans and strategies. And, yeah. you know, they. this isn't the, um, the environment which players will get shaken in, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think everyone's fully on board with the plan. They know what they what they're working for, what they're trying to achieve. So I don't think I don't think that's the same kind of worry. Yeah, I I I agree with you. I think it's it's Marnie Lobok to start. Um, there's there's a debate between do you finish with Pollard to kick the goals or do you start with Pollard to get the scoreboard pressure and get that conversion of dominance that we've been missing. And I think there's you, you can argue both sides. I don't think we're going to get to a conclusion there. But I think the whole tournament's been set up in the build-up with with the injuries uh, that Marnie is the general, and yeah, he brings things that Pollard certainly doesn't. And we saw that we saw that when Pollard started last last game, he didn't play badly, but he played a Pollard game. He played a Pollard game well, um, and I think with with Damien de Allende on first phase just crashing it up anyway. It gives Mon- uh, Moni a chance to to sort of flex his creative muscles. So I think you you start Moni Lebok from a match fitness point of view and just a build up and cohesion point of view. Um, and we either hope he kicks his goals or we just score tries. But against a French team, oh, it's tough. It's really tough. I think that's the key thing is they just need to know what strategy they're aiming for. And then that'll influence it a lot. Like, then I think if you are, if we're going for polls, um, then, you know, yes, obviously you need to go Pollard first. But if we are playing a pressure game, um, trying to get into the corners and stuff, well, then, yeah, then we just go, just go Marnie. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm not too worried, but I, I, I would like to see money get a start. But I, I guess the only thing is it does change the composition of the bench. I I don't know if you can really go 6-2 with Pollard. Mm. And, and, and I do want to see a 6-2. I think it is a crucial part of the way um, that we push our forwards to be as dominant as they can be. Um it's tough. I mean, we like we. I think we discussed last week. Even like how Willems is a great twenty-three, but he's done enough probably to be starting at fifteen now. So I don't know what it's gonna be. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I think it. I think it should be six-two, but may, maybe it can be six-two and and Lubak, for example, can be player twenty-three. I mean, he can still cover fly off and fullback, and then like Grant Williams can cover wing or something. If he plays uh, well, tw- a twenty-two, Jesse Krill like can cover and Williams, and and Krill as a as a starting center, yeah. So perhaps just without thinking too much, like Pollard to start, Williams and Lebok on the bench, and that sort of keeps the six-two and allows you to have the fly-off cover um, or the you know two two tens in the starting mm. twenty-three. But I'm not sure, and I'm not too worried. But I just. I just, yeah, like Anne says, just know what you want to do. And I think they will. They've been thinking about this possibility for years already. As And as we know, the draw was done a long time ago. And they've been thinking yeah. about this match. So, yeah. yeah. And is that harsh on Jaden Hendrickson? No, I don't think Jaden's really hit the form he'd like to see since coming back. And I think we've, 
really shown that we like to have that pace scrum off coming off the bench, whether it's Ryan off, whether it's um, uh, Williams, yeah. Uh, Williams. So that I think that's fine. I mean, it's obviously tough on Hendrickson, but you know, I think he's he's a, a starter, not a finisher in this current setup, which is, you know, again, like I think every player is so aware of what their roles are and what the squad is trying to achieve and everyone's got that buy into it. You know, I mean if you just look at um the the love that they showed to Scott Brits when he was, you know, hanging out with the team, like there just is, is such a family element in that team. So I don't think I don't think anyone's gonna be too stressed about starting or not starting as long mm-hmm. as the team is doing the best it can. Another another interesting one, Phil, uh Visa or Dwayne. Uh um I mean I almost take it for granted that I think it's gonna be Visa, but um having Dwayne on the bench, we didn't have Dwayne on the bench against uh Ireland last time, I think, right? Um Crocker is where... basically been covering the backs with yeah. the six two and seven one. Yeah. Back rows. Yeah. Finn Starden obviously as hooker cover i think finn Starden might miss out so having mm. quacker and Dwayne on the bench because now obviously we'll have bongi and dion free as the hooker options but i'm not sure uh i think i think having Dwayne is such a almost like um a geek just he's you, you know what you're to expect from him like he's such a safe pair of hands um I think he'll be in and the he showed he showed too. he showed it in the last game that he can go the eighty minutes. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, I think, think we that was that. a big big thing that came out of the the, the Tonga game that like he's not this not used up man. washed up yeah. player. Yeah, yeah like sure. he can go eighty. I don't know if he needs to. Game. And so I, I would, I would yeah. much rather have Dwayne on the bench um, personally than oh, then what about Quacha? No, yeah. And you got you going six two, so you go Dwayne and Quacker. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because then, so you don't you don't Dwayne Quacker, Quibus of Grant, and no, you do. Wait, do you, you have enough of that? Oh, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You, don't. you got to go seven <sighs> one. Yeah, either got to sacrifice a lock or you go one back row replacement. Uh, no, I'm not sacrificing. Not sacrificing a lock. So seven one. No, six two, but not sacrificing six a lock. Six two, so. but not sacrificing a lock. So yeah, we no, just qu- yeah, qu- put put Trevor on the bench and he plays both sides. No, Quaker loses out, unfortunately. Like he didn't play in the World Cup. Yeah. Uh he doesn't need to be there. He's a luxury. <laughs> he's not a luxury oh. player, but he's <laughs> yo, yo. he's been so good. No, I agree. I, I would rather have oh, do I want Dwayne or Quaker? I think I want Dwayne because he's he's that calm head. Yeah. At the end of the match, more so than which is, I think, what we lack sometimes. You know, when you take when you, you don't have Bongi on the bench, you take uh, Sierra off. Although now we've got Pollard coming on, so maybe maybe it's yeah. all fine. And if you look at the 2019 World Cup, like Francois Lowe equivalent is most still most likely Dion Ferry, who is obviously covering Hooker now too. So maybe just having him makes it like a six-one split. I mean a. Uh, Six two split, but with without is I don't know how far is Bongi gonna go. Yeah, shit, I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> this is so hard. Is is is, is Pollard... six two and you go dual locked Pollard uh, and <laughs> do do you need do we need Pollard on the bench? <laughs> do you need Pollard? No. I mean, what if what if Lebox missing all those kicks? 
Willemse, Faf, Chaslin. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> this is the problem. Like, I think you have to, given how Pollard's done and what he's proven, I think he's going to be in the 23. I think it is going to be 6 2. It's just deciding which six forwards you want. And unfortunately, I think Quacha might miss out. Either Quacha or Dwayne. I think Quacha's utility. Yeah, if you're I going think 6 that's... 2, if you're going 6 2, you've got to have Quacha. I mean, I think if you're going 7-1, you definitely have to have Quacha. Yeah, absolutely. Going six, going... Maybe you can get away with it. Like, he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't there in the last World Cup for those 6-2s. He was part of the sort of rotational team, so... Yeah, but we had Francois Lowe then. But Francois Lowe only really covers covered Khaleesi back then, right? And now, mm-hmm. Dion... Well, uh, I don't he's know. Played, because... he's, played, he's, he's played it. I mean, Francois Lowe played enough 7. And I wouldn't have minded it being 8. But yes... Yeah. Well, maybe sure. this is maybe this is why Dwayne played seven this past mm. week. I don't know. You guys <laughs> make me think too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, I guess we'll see. It's 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 just really hard. I think we're proving that the the life of Rusty and Jacques is not as straightforward as maybe a lot of people think it is. Yeah. No. But well, but just just a quick one, just like how thankful can we be that we have Khaleesi to start from, like. A, a lot of the scenarios where that he wasn't even going to be available. So that's a luxury in, in itself. Not that he's a luxury player. Anymore. Not a luxury player anymore, yeah. <laughs> he used to be, perhaps, once upon a time, according to some podcasters. No names mentioned. <laughs> All right. Thank goodness we fired those ones. <laughs> it's good they don't listen to this podcast anymore. Um <laughs> So, yeah, should we wrap it up there? I think we've probably said all that can be said. We'll see. I, th- I think the team announcement's only been scheduled for Friday. Um, Usually we get it on a yeah. Tuesday or a Wednesday. We're recording on a Monday night. But it would be real sleight of hand tactics of, of the Springboks to now hold their team announcement. Um. It would be very funny. It would be very funny. Very world, you know, world rugby are gonna world rugby are gonna lose their shit about it. Not world rugby, but world rugby press is gonna get all antsy about it. <laughs> yeah, like I it mean, just would be funny. It would be hilarious. So we'll see. Um, that's the only one we're united on. Then we all saying Springboks to win, but uh, it's a navy, a navy prediction. We're all too patriotic. Which which predictions are you most confident in? If you had to put in order. probably uh, for me probably England then Wales then um, New Zealand then South Africa (laughs) or South Africa New Zealand I don't know Um, I genuinely have no idea (laughs) yeah uh, actually they're all uncertain (laughs) No, I can't say. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we're, we're going to have an interesting podcast next week. Um, we've been going on for a long time now, so I think I'll wrap it, there, I'll wrap it up there. But, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the deliberations. I think we've got an exceptional week of rugby, uh, well, weekend of rugby awaiting us. And uh, we'll chat again next week. You'll get all of our opinions on whatever results transpire. Thanks, Jensen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>